This week, we're continuing our exploration of love as a business strategy. If you haven't heard our last episode, go back and listen. You'll be glad you did. Silence is the biggest cost that's not going to be found on your balance sheet. You're paying people, in many cases, a really hefty salary, and you're only getting 50% of return against it because they come and sit quiet 50% of the time, and they only respond around the things that they are either entrusted with or what you have scoped them and given them permission to do. I'm Patrick Pacheco, and you're listening to Season 3 of In Good Companies from Cadence Bank, the podcast where we have your best interests at heart. Because at Cadence, we're much more than a provider of financial services. We're a lifetime advocate driven by your success. It's spring, so I'm thinking about my garden. The first thing I've got to do is plant the seeds. And that's hard work. Digging holes, mulching, getting the soil ready. But that doesn't make a garden. To see results, you've got to water, weed, compost, and prune over the whole summer. Because the garden isn't made in a day. It takes consistent, steady care. But if you put in the work, you can have something beautiful. That's also true of your culture. Last week, we learned about love as a business strategy and how you can introduce the culture of love into your business. But that leads to another question. How do you sustain a culture of love? Because like a garden, it's about more than just planting the seeds. The secret? your employees. They have as much to gain from a culture of love as leaders do. And with some careful nurturing, they can maintain the love and drive it forward. So this episode is all about the team, how to build a lasting culture of love that works for them. And to lead us, we've got some familiar faces. I I mean voices. My name is Mohamed Anwar. I'm the president and CEO of Softway and Culture Plus. I'm uh, also the co-author of Wall Street Journal bestselling book called Love as a Business Strategy. My name is Chris Petrie, and I'm the vice president of Softway and the co-founder of Culture Plus, which is a subsidiary of Softway. Last week, we heard Muhammad's story. So this week, let's start with Chris. Chris doesn't fit neatly in any one box. He's a jack of all trades. So I've been told that in your career, you've never had a position that was held by somebody else before. That is absolutely correct. I love gray, and so I love walking into places where I get to sort of determine my path, my future, my destiny, and my objectives. I support sales. I also support strategy inside of client work. That's a part of my past too. I support HR and recruiting and onboarding across our US and our India offices. And I also support just about any type of experience that we're creating. I have what some people might call a very refined palette on things. <laughs> so I'm getting to wonder what exactly Muhammad does. It sounds like you do everything over there. <laughs> so he, he does a lot. The other things that I don't touch, he touches and leads. <laughs> So can you tell me what love as a business strategy means from your perspective? What, what, is it, what does that truly mean? If you're going to give somebody the elevator pitch about, about love as a business strategy, what, what would it be? The first thing I would do is clarify, when we say love, we are not talking about like a Hallmark rom-com where your hot best friend is your soulmate. That's not what we're talking about. What we're talking about is putting people at the center of business decisions, where we're assessing the people impact of said decisions and sort of cascading or looking forward to even seven generations out, like what will be the impact of what we're doing today, tomorrow? And for us, we have understood that when it comes to business and a lot of business education, people are considered a cost, they're considered a liability. But when you go out and recruit, you say, you're our best hire, you're our best asset, you're gonna be this and you're smart, 
right? But that is not the way that they're treated or seen according to financial statements. And so for us, we believe that if you sort of extend decision-making beyond just what your financials say, and you start really thinking about the stories within your organization, you can actually make even more successful and sustaining decisions that create longer-term revenue plays that create longer-term loyalty inside of the organization beyond just short-term thinking and short-term success and doing whatever it takes to get, you know, a number by the end of the quarter. You know, we talked a little bit about maybe employees don't know how, how stressed leaders are, but what is it that, that leaders don't understand about, about some of their employees? The way I like to look at it is think about an iceberg, Right. So above the surface, you see that tip of the iceberg and that's typically where the leaders are. And so if they say this is the vision, that's the vision in their world. If they say we love each other and we have we get along great, that's what happens around them. And then the second you go beneath that surface, you're no longer in leadership. You have no say over what the strategy is. You have limited decision making. You have limited authority, limited influence and plans that are happening. And I see a lot of leaders miss the fact that your power and your authority in an organization is oftentimes the biggest difference, aside from identity, aside from socioeconomic status, aside from education, that allows you to maneuver in ways that employees or contributors just can't. It might take you two days to get something from someone. It might take them two months. I mean, that's really a, a paradigm shift in the way things are looked at. I like to do something here at, at the bank, which is I'll have a project and I'll put together a team around it, but I may put the lowest ranking person in charge of the team. The first time I did that, I did get a few people looking at me like, well, you know I'm on the team, right? Yeah. Uh, but, but it works very well because you also you just created a level playing field for everybody to feel they can, they can contribute and, and talk and speak freely. Empowered employees can be a source of ideas and inspiration. A title doesn't always determine influence. I work with some, some folks who had titles that I would never follow <laughs> or trust or go and seek advice from. But I have had custodial engineers and people that you might consider the lowest of the totem pole have all of this wisdom and this warmth and this charisma. And so for me, I never know who my next leader is going to be. I never know who the next sort of change agent is going to be. And so when I work with and talk to employees, I want them to feel like they own the culture just as much as any leader does, because I don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. And I also don't know who is going to step up in ways that we've never seen before. A culture of love also makes life easier and more efficient for employees. We honestly believe that people are looking and hoping to do their best work wherever they go. But unfortunately, we've created organizations that don't encourage or allow for that. If the people do not experience trust and empowerment from their leadership, from, the, from one another, then you will see processes and tools or technologies will be instituted to verify that trust that creates inefficiency, which is counterintuitive to why you would put in process. If one person made a mistake, I instituted a process that punished everyone in the organization. Very common, you'll see in corporations. If somebody abuses a certain policy, the policy will be changed to punish everyone. Because two people made a mistake, all 200 people are now mandated to follow this process. Those are where we create inefficiencies inside of organizations. And counter to that, if there is trust and empowerment being experienced, then processes will be put into place to enhance efficiency. It sounds like a culture of love is also a culture of efficiency. Yeah. Even though people, people don't initially see that, it really, it really is a culture of efficiency, isn't it? Yeah, culture of high performance, high reliability, 
efficiency, success, it really enables all of the business outcomes that every leader is aspiring for. The catalyst to get to that is culture of love. At Cadence Bank, we're here to help the people and communities we serve prosper. We have the understanding that comes from listening to your needs and the expertise to make it happen. Find out why Cadence is the bank for you. Visit CadenceBank.com to learn more. Cadence Bank, member FDIC. Once a leader introduces a culture of love, how do you sustain it? Yeah, I think leaders do have an outsized influence, but it takes everyone to be willing to show up in the right mindset, have attitudes that reflect the outcome and the environment that you want to be in, and then communicate according to said mindset and attitude and in ways that support and further the organization. I personally believe that employees do have a huge part to play in that formula for um, a high-performing culture. If employees are the key to maintaining culture, then you've got to hire the right people. We get a lot of people that are like, oh my gosh, I learned so much about your culture. I love it. I love it. I want to be a part of it. But what impresses me is when someone says, I want to figure out how I can contribute to your culture. I want to add to it. So um, we use this term culture add instead of culture fit. I don't want someone that just fits into the culture because at that point you're just trying to be like us or assimilate or imitate someone here. And I don't want another Chris, like we can barely handle one, <laughs> right? <laughs> and so I really want you to add to our workplace. I want you to figure out what you're going to contribute. And to me, the candidates that can actually show up and say in a humble way, like, I love what I read, but here's really what I hope that I can bring to the table that might not be here or could be something that can be leveraged in ways that I'm yet to figure out. Because that to me says that someone first has research, but secondly sees that we need contributors more so than consumers. Yeah, so, so don't feel bad about the only needing one, Chris. I, they have a sign. I, I know they have a sign somewhere and you open it up and says, do not hire another Patrick, no matter what you do. <laughs> But to get the right people, you need to change your approach to hiring. Chris wants everybody to be their authentic selves during the interview process, something he's modeled since day one. And I'll never forget the day that he invites me in. It is Beyonce's birthday. <laughs> and if you don't know me, I'm a huge fan of Beyonce, which I'm from Houston, so it makes sense, right? I can understand why. I can understand why. And so I walk in and as soon as I greet him, I'm like, happy Beyonce birthday day. <laughs> And he's like, what? <laughs> and he's like, I'm sorry, did you just bring, like, what? And I was like, happy Beyonce birthday day. Today is her birthday. And because she's royalty, like, we wish everybody a happy Beyonce birthday day. And he was so utterly confused. <laughs> and I was like, is this the red flag or is this a, a, a coaching moment? Like, I didn't know. So <laughs> we went about the interview and I joke about it now with him because I swear he had no idea who Beyonce was until I joined. But he swears that he just didn't understand why a candidate would even mention that inside of an interview. But I was like, well, welcome to Chris's life. We've had people just say your interview process in itself is so different. Like, I don't even feel like I'm in an interview. And by the way, why am I talking to you, uh, Mohammed? Like, aren't you the CEO? Why are you in my interview? I always will gravitate towards capability versus competence. And I can tell you a story about how we changed our project management hiring process. So for a while, we would hire project managers that had PMP certifications and they had sort of experience at big firms or big organizations or brands that we admired or thought had it together. And we bring them in and they sucked horribly, <laughs> like failed, clients hated them, they were inflexible, they were too process oriented. And for us, we are very service oriented. So if our process doesn't work with a client, we'll alter the process to get the work done and make sure the client's needs are met, but they don't have to feel uncomfortable during the project. And so 
we started to change our profile. And so we started to say like, okay, service orientation is something that we have to prioritize in our project managers. And so we opened up that criteria to include people who might have been in hospitality and restaurants, who could have been servers and waitresses, who might have been administrator support for executives, who could be in ministry, right? So we opened it up to people that were in natural service-oriented roles. And then what happened is we brought those folks in, took a risk at that time, and they succeeded. Not only did they succeed, but the project management team became the highest billable, not because they just overestimated hours, but because clients look forward to a project manager sitting in on meetings for them. And then what also happened is we hired more women, more people of color. We hired people that didn't have college degrees, but who had a lot of experience and who could juggle large orders, complicated things, people changing their mind, upset customers or patrons, right? Like they had all of this natural skill that we didn't have to develop or train or sort of rewire in them because they showed up and if a client was nervous about a project, they had the skill to calm that client down or to do the extra to make that client feel okay with the process or the project. And so for us, by changing just that one little trait inside of what we look for, we unlock so much diversity, but also a lot of revenue for the organization. Once you've got the right people in the door, you have to establish connections. One of the things that we are very, very intentional about is anybody who joins Softway within your first 30 days, you have met all the leaders one-on-one, -on -one, not just your reporting manager. And the goal there is to establish relationships where at any point in time, you should feel like you know someone well enough to where if you think something is being done that shouldn't be done, you should be able to approach that leader or you know, even Muhammad and then say, here's what I'm feeling, here's why I'm feeling it, let's talk about what we can do to be different or to do different. And one of the biggest compliment I've taken is when, when our customers aren't able to even realize that I'm the CEO in the room. I've gone into several meetings with my teammates and nobody knows I'm the CEO because they're treating me just like how they were treating any other teammates. And they speak to me, joke and everything. And then once they say, yeah, Muhammad's a CEO, they're like, wait a minute, you're just making fun of him. What the hell's wrong with you guys? And yeah, that's like a testament to our culture. Software is also clear with their rules. So employees know what to expect. One of the things that we do is when we kick off projects, we start with our working agreements. So we build working agreements as a team. And we talk about what happens when, not if, but when we disagree, what happens when we miss a deadline, what happens when we upset the client, what happens when we, right? And so that way everybody shows up inside of those moments and they know that in this hard conversation, we're all agreed that this is the way we're supposed to handle it. So it's not a surprise, it's not awkward, it's, it happened, right? These small acts establish a feeling of security, which enables employees to step up and contribute. People are afraid of honest conversations because they can't predict, they can't control how people will react or what the outcomes will be. And so retaliation is sometimes what holds us back because it's like, I don't know what it's going to cost me if I say that I don't really like what we're doing in this campaign, or I don't really like what we're doing with this customer, or I don't really agree with what was sold. And so for us, we, we really do promote a culture of feedback, and that goes from top down and bottom up. We work hard to ensure that we reduce fear. Power distance is a thing that very few leaders realize or understand or want to talk about. 
um, but it's really hard and very courageous for an intern, a freshly hired or recently graduated person to come forward and want to, one, ask for your time. That's always a big ask for them. And then two, to give you candid feedback about your organization. Without that trust, you can't have honesty, which is the foundation of communication in a culture of love. But there are other barriers to honesty too. One of the things that we face, I think there's a prioritization around comfort in many places. So if it's uncomfortable, if it's an awkward discussion, we need to end it. Let's get back to the agenda, the point, the topic, whatever. Let's not engage difference or different opinions because that could lead to fears of misalignment or fears that someone's going to leave or fears that someone's going to do something crazy, right? Like there's a lot of irrational fears around honesty. So one of the things that you'll hear us say is honesty over harmony. If you really look into your interactions with people, majority of us seek harmony. So when there is tough feedback to be given, we prefer not to give it. When there's behaviors that are not representative or conflicts or disagreements arise, we try to normalize those environments by changing the topic or diverting that situation to lead to harmony. But in reality, what that does is we're just delaying the conflict, delaying the inevitable by temporarily taking a reprieve of mm-hmm. harmony. But really, if we are honest, we are still goal-oriented, we are still outcome-oriented and still solution-oriented. So I'm gonna tell you something that may not feel good to hear. It may be a fact that we have been ignoring because nobody wants to deal with it, but if I don't say it, then we actually don't get further, faster together. And so in a loving environment, there should be an ability for every level of an organization to be honest. If you want to achieve real harmony, you have to have honest conversations. You have to give honest feedback. And in order to be able to give honest feedback doesn't mean we need to be a jerk about it and be mean to each other, but we have to do it from a place of love. We have to really genuinely care for one another so we can give honest feedback and the people will receive that feedback from a place of honesty because they're like, wait, Muhammad cares about me. Muhammad truly loves me. He's doing whatever is best for me, for my career, for my growth. So I'm going to accept that feedback. I'm going to dig into it. I'm going to really understand what Muhammad's trying to say. Honesty opens the door to efficiency and opportunity. Culture of love allows us to have more honest conversations and cut the bullcrap and get to the bottom, get to the core and solve problems and move on. Versus in other cultures, I can assure you, things will linger, things will fester, things will become uh, an impediment to the growth of the company or achieving their objectives, and they won't even realize it because they think they're being harmonious and peaceful along the way. For many organizations, silence reigns supreme. And I tell leaders that I talk to, I'm like, silence is the biggest cost that's not going to be found on your balance sheet. You're paying people, in many cases, a really hefty salary, and you're only getting 50% of return against it because they come and sit quiet 50% of the time and they only respond around the things that they are either entrusted with or what you have scoped them and given them permission to do. And there's no empowerment, there's no trust, um, and there's no sort of inclusion or empathy that allows them to unlock all of the ideas, all of the revenue-making ideas, all of the cost-saving ideas, because probably at some point, and it could be someone even outside of your organization, someone in their past, told them, shut up, stay in your place. You're to be seen and not heard, right? And so for us, love is not always just about being nice and cordial and warm and happy-go-lucky, holding hands and skipping through the daisies. For us, it's about 
really ensuring that people can say what needs to be said to get the thing done, right? It means having the tough conversations. It means turning controversy and confrontation into effective and powerful conversations that actually might change the solution. It might open up an idea. It might open up a revenue stream, right? And we have plenty of stories in our organization where one conversation that started out to be sort of that uncomfortable, like, I don't think this is the way it should be, or I don't like this, or this is rubbing me wrong, turn into an opportunity, turn into a new partnership, turn into a better or deeper relationship with a client. To sustain a culture of love, everybody needs to contribute. What are, what are some ways employees can encourage this culture of love? What can people do on an informal basis to encourage a culture of love and keep it, keep it active and moving in a business? For me, I've always, you know, believed even before I became a leader that just getting to know someone's name is an easy step. And then taking it beyond that, like being curious about your coworkers, not in an intrusive way, <laughs> but in a way that allows like, hey, how do you prefer to work here? Working on this together, like what upsets you? What triggers you? Like that type of curiosity just allows people to one, feel like they are included and belong but it also allows you as the doer of the work to, you know, or the supporter of the work or the collaborator in the work to show up in ways that might allow for the best work to be delivered in a collaborative manner. And so just starting with curiosity, it leads to empathy, it leads to inclusion, it leads to trust, it leads to vulnerability at times. Um, it can also lead to forgiveness where if someone is taking the time to understand you um, and get to know you, it goes a long way. So we have a saying here that if you want to consume the culture of love, you also have to give back to the culture of love. So if you're just showing up here to consume all the benefits of this culture but cannot contribute back to it, then this is not the place for you. We call those culture vultures, right? Employees that just show up and they, they love the benefits, they love the freedom, they love the empowerment, and then they're put in charge or they're given a responsibility and they show up and do none of the things that they've enjoyed supposedly. Oh, that's that's uh, that's very interesting. A culture vulture. I have to remember yes. that. Too. <laughs> you can't say that you love a place just because you receive everything. But when the time comes for you to give, you're not doing anything to contribute towards it. And so that's where the accountability starts. That's where, you know, we really do go into those tough conversations quickly. For a culture of love to work, accountability is a must, but it's not easy. Behavioral feedback is the hardest to give in the workplace. We will jump into tactical or technical feedback or misspellings and these kind of things easily and think that that's all that someone needs to grow. But rarely will you see someone sit down and say, hey, I want to talk about how you showed up in that meeting yesterday. Let's talk. Let's like, no, I want you to think about how people might be perceiving you. I want you to think about what you could have done differently. And this is not necessarily that you were the worst person ever because you, you know, maybe showed up in a way that wasn't what I would consider to be best. But just think long term about how you influence. You said some things to people that you're going to have to rely on next week. <laughs> right. Like. And to me, leaders go wrong in that is when they start finger pointing, wrong spotting, victim blaming, defending, right? And instead of focusing on their intent, they should be focusing on their impact. And we talk about intent versus impact a lot, that you might have been well-intended in the decision that you made and the conversation you had and the words that you used, 
But when you try and hide behind your intent, you ignore the impact. And just like in a car accident, if you rear in somebody, you didn't intend to do it, right? <laughs> but you still have to take responsibility and accountability for the impact. And you have to give insurance information. Rates might go up, all of those things. Um, but oftentimes in the business world, we don't, as leaders, take the time to really sit in our impact and make adjustments accordingly. So how do you deal with the, the employee here or there that just engages in behavior that just is inconsistent with, with this culture? I mean, how, how long do you work with them? How do you, how do you deal with somebody that just doesn't want to d- adopt this, this culture of love? Yeah, no, first steps is obviously we need to practice grace and give people a chance to appreciate and understand what are the expectations and have those tough love conversations and let them experience the love themselves, right? And if they are not willing to embrace behaviors that are representative of culture of love inside of the organization, then we show them the exit door. We value behaviors more and this is not representative. You might be a super talented team member, but if you're going to hurt the overarching environment and hurt others with your behaviors, then that this has no place. There's no place for you. So we show them the exit door and we practice tough love and we, you know, we're able to have those tough conversations a lot more easier than an environment that doesn't practice culture of love. In fact, in corporations where they don't practice a culture of love, they will hang on to those people, let them become the toxic source just because they're a good performer and let it stay idle, let it stick around. As long as their numbers are good, they won't care about their behaviors and And that actually hurts a lot more people at large. The time to implement a culture of love is now. It won't just benefit you in the short term. It's essential for the future as well. It's important for us to share this because we're talking to college students. We're talking to uh, people who are having kids and they're sitting there wondering, Where's my child going to be when they become my age and who's going to employ them and who's going to care for them the same way that I do? Because right now I don't get that care at my office. If we had more workplaces that were set up this way, I would be less anxious about where my child is going to be when they are ready to enter the workforce. I would tell people, we talk about this with millennials, because everybody wanted to bash millennials. And I said, you know what it is, is they watch their parents work for companies for 50 years and one day just, you know, they're just sent home, very unceremoniously. And I think they watched this with their parents. They said, I'm not going to do that. When we talk about it, I said, well, I think it's time. We kind of need to look inside as to what are we doing to, to make them not want to act that way. If you are looking for a job, if you are nervous about looking for a job, please prioritize the environment that you're going to be in, where you are, how you're shaped in that first environment will determine your mindset, your attitude, and the way that you communicate going forward more than you know. And so as you are searching for your first, I want you to really think about what your non-negotiables can be because you might not be able to get the salary that you want, but you really can determine the environment that you're in and sort of look for the signs, see how they work with each other, see how your interview panelists behave with each other, observe those things. When you walk into the environment, is it quiet? (laughs) Do you hear people collaborating? How do you see their values in action, right? Really assess that organization to make sure that it is going to be a place where you can thrive, but also where you are prioritized, where you are treated as a human and you are not just treated as a number or a revenue bringer, right? Or a cost or liability. 
And it does take intentional observation. It's not just going to stand out at you. For us, it's about building as many office places and as many workplaces around the world as possible, where when these younger generations graduate, they feel like they're at a place that cares for them, values them, and sort of really wants them to be honest and bring their best and greatest ideas and contributions to an organization. Chris and Muhammad have created some incredible resources on the culture of love, but the very best one is brand new and arriving soon. We are about to offer a training for leaders who are really wanting to introduce new concepts around how to lead with love, how to build teams that are higher performing, but also loyal and contributors. And that is going to be Seneca Leaders. That's the name of the experience. That's going to be happening May 24th and May 25th at the University of Houston, the stadium where it all started. If you are really trying to sort of figure out how to build teams that last, that perform, and that allow for everyone to belong, this is the session for you. And I'll tell you that in talking with many college students who are entering the workforce, they are asking us, what companies have you guys done this training for? Because that's where I want to be. So this just might be your competitive advantage for getting talent, especially early talent that's looking for workspaces and workplaces that are focusing on their people and are bringing people in who are interested in contributing to a culture that is healthy, that is performing, but it still has that honesty. And so if you are interested in that, you can go to our website at Culture Plus and navigate over to the events page and you will see it there. You can also use code CHRIS500 if you want a discount. Love as a business strategy is a potential game changer. We've dedicated two episodes to it because we believe that work can be better. But even if you're not in a position to implement these changes, there are plenty of takeaways. Culture lives and dies with your employees. So you need to hire the right people. Think culture ad, not culture fit. They may not be the candidates you expect. When people join your company, make them feel secure and prioritize honesty over harmony. That will make it easier to maintain accountability up and down the organization. A culture of love is a culture of efficiency. Making these changes will free up time, unlock ideas, and make your company a place that you're proud of. Thank you again to Mohammed Anwar and Chris Petrie. If you enjoyed the show, we'd appreciate it if you'd write a review in your podcast app. Or if you're short on time, you can just rate us five stars. It only takes a second. And while you're there, subscribe. We'd love to have you. Because when you're with us, we're in good companies. In Good Companies is a podcast from Cadence Bank, member FDIC, equal opportunity lender. Sheena Cochran is our production coordinator. Our executive producer is Daniel Cornell, with writing and production from Andrew Ganim and sound design and mixing by Ben Cranlett at Lower Street Media. I'm your host, Patrick Pacheco. This podcast is provided as a free service to you and is for general informational purposes only. Cadence Bank makes no representations or warranties as to the accuracy, completeness, or timeliness of the content in the podcast. The podcast is not intended to provide legal, accounting, or tax advice and should not be relied upon for such purposes. To the extent that this podcast includes predictions about the economy, these predictions are subject to a number of variables and you should confer with your legal, accounting, and tax advisors for their input regarding the possible outcomes of any economic subject matter discussed herein.